So this episode, I would like to dedicate to our very own Stephen Scott, driver instructor extraordinaire, and also to everyone in my work, the Western Australian Department of Transport. I've had the honour of working with you all for four years, and I look forward to many more years working with you. Hope you enjoy listening to this. What language do you speak? Speak the same language as everybody in this country. No, Spanish. <laughs> I speak Spanish, you idiot. I speak American. American? American. American. Ah, here's one. <laughs> Whoa, I hope you know a lot about towing trailers. <laughs> Let's rock. Thanks, Dad. Can I get a open? No Man Presents, live from the nudie bar, the Married with Children podcast. Welcome back to the Upside Down Married for Children podcast here down under in Australia. My name is Annabelle, aka Maridaniac, and my favourite shade of nail polish is chocolate. <laughs> well, my name is Matt, and I just failed my third written driving test here at the DMV, or as we called here in Australia, the DOT. Mm-hmm. Uh, this is Season 9, Episode 2, Driving Mr. Boondi. Al has to renew his driver's license and is upset to learn that Bud will be his examiner. That's all the information that IMDB is giving us compared to some of the waffling diatribes of Season 8. That is actually missing quite a lot of info about this episode because there is a lot of stuff going on here there is a lot i mean forget, forget just the drive dmv there's also Oktoberfest and uh well peg being out of town um honestly whoever wrote that summary um probably probably just skim watching the show while making dinner or um, cleaning the house yeah maybe overcome by the fact that you see kelly bundy not once but twice wearing a bikini uh yeah this is a big episode for kelly for reasons we'll get into but yeah, as I said, this is uh, Driving Mr. Boondy, Season 9, Episode 2, first aired September 11th, 1994, written by Donald Beck and directed by Jerry Cohen. Guest cast, Oliver Muirhead as Mr. Blithers, Nicole Nagel as Heidi, Issa Tota as Ahmed, Greg Callahan as the bank president, Jeffrey Winner as test examiner. Wesley Leong as man, Deborah Lee Hall as DVS woman, and Jean Steichen as bank customer. The DMV's tormented people for years. Now it's payback time. Let's drive. Al Bundy taking his driver's test on an all-new Married with Children tonight. Now the title of this episode is a pun on Driving Miss Daisy, of course, that Oscar-winning 1989 American film, which was also a play, the same name, the one with Jessica Tandy and Morgan Freeman. Have you seen it, Anna? Have you seen that film? I have, a long time ago. 
I can't say I've seen it myself, but um, you mentioned Morgan Freeman's in it. Uh, yeah, I mean, who knows? Maybe we'll see it one day. I mean, there's just so many movie references in the show, even just episode names, that you could basically, you know, spend a whole year watching films and TV shows based on this show. Yeah, well, Morgan Freeman is always worth watching, and yeah, it is a good film. And it's just it's just about a story about Miss Daisy, her point of view through a network of relationships and emotions by focusing on her home life and friends and family and concerns over and it takes place over the sort of 20 or 25 year period cool so yeah like i said it's been a long time since i've seen it but it was very good so driving mr boondy in that episode that boondy will be explained shortly oh it will (laughs) but we start with our coming home to an empty house yeah very empty yeah no peg no kel no bud not even buck where is everyone well, Buck's getting changed into his German outfit, but yeah, no kids, and um, Peg, as we'll discover, is still away in Wanker County. Ah, life with the wife out of town. <laughs> now this is marriage. Uh, I suppose the previous episode, She Way to Heaven, the first uh, episode of this current new season, will might have touched on the fact that while she's away but she will be away for another two episodes and back in the following episode after that but that's because of course katie seagal is on maternity leave and i strongly suspect that her scenes on the telephone in these first few episodes were pre-recorded i think so too it very much reminds me of season five of three's company when suzanne summers basically was um whisked off the show after wanting a pay raise and wanted, it was all a bit messy so to keep Chrissy on the show they had a, a the tag at the end of the episode and uh, in a room with no John Ritter or Joyce DeWitt basically calling Jack and Janet so I'm pretty sure they did a similar thing with these Peggy scenes on the phone yeah although for a much better reason thankfully Katie Seagal did not um, have a fallout that would juice like Suzanne Summers did with Three's Company no no two very different people I think Although both work with John Ritter, so how about that? Yeah, how about that? We work with the late, great John Ritter. Yeah, I miss John Ritter. Did you watch Hate Simple Rules back when it was on? No, I mean, I was tall 13 at the time, Anna. I mean, I, pop- I probably would like it more now. I think I saw bits of it, but if I saw it now, I'm sure I would love it. Trust me. I mean, John Ritter, Katie's girl, how could I not? Yeah, it's very, um, it's more like... Katie has said it's more reality-based than Married with Children, so it's sort of got that more, it's less acerbic TV sitcom. So, Yeah, that's kind of a given. Yeah, yeah. But um, it's based on a book, on a parenting book, so the focus is sort of going to be on the teenagers. Yeah, like you say, with those two as parents, and they've worked together before in a movie, so when she saw that John Ritter was doing a show, she just wanted to be in it no matter what it was. It turned out to be, you know, it's a, for what it is, it's a pretty decent little show. I think it actually got really good, and then unfortunately John Ritter passed away. But there is an episode in season three that you would really like, because a certain Al Bundy himself makes a guest appearance. Yeah, I mean, that show was obviously tragically cut short, but um, when I get a chance, I mean, well, I probably won't, because at the time of recording, it's late November, which means um, which means I'm at my second home, known as the beach here, down here in Perth, so my, after my time for watching TV is a bit restricted, because I um, will be spending a lot of time here at the beach at the moment, at the time of recording, and even at the time of airing. Yeah, you'll still be at the beach come March. Yeah, I'm just, uh, yeah, just, it's one of those shows, I guess, watch once, when you've when you've got the opportunity because yeah just worth a watch i think because there is a, a really good threes company um 
dream sequence slash parody in season one as well that I think you'll enjoy. Oh yeah, I think it's the Mr. Roper bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah. John is John Ritter's playing Mr. Roper. Ah, uh, well, back to um, Married of Children. Yeah, so Peg's away because Katie Segal is on maternity leave. But uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure her scenes on the phone are pre-recorded. So when Al's talking to Peg on the phone, he's talking to no one, I think, unless they're just playing back her lines. And I think if you know, you can probably tell. But really, you can't tell because even though he's talking to no one, they still have good chemistry. <laughs> Yeah. Anyway, that's just an aside, but it's thanks to Peg and her male abilities that we get into the bulk of this episode. But first, Bud comes down and he wants to go to Oktoberfest. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Dad, I need $700. No problem, we'll sell the house. (laughs) Of course, we'll have to come up with 500 bucks more. Dad, I'm serious. My entire academic career depends on it. I want to go to Oktoberfest in Milwaukee with a fraternity. We're going to ogle women and eat sausages. Well, aside from the women and sausages, you can do that right here. Dad, everybody's going. Everybody's not going. I'm not going, Buck's not going, and you're not going. I don't care what anyone says, I'm going. And I suppose everybody knows what Oktoberfest is, but it's the world's largest Volksfest, the beer festival and travelling fun fair. It's held annually in Munich, Bavaria, in Germany, and it is a 16 to 18 day folk festival running from mid or late September to the first Sunday in October, with more than 6 million people around the world attending every year. I've got a question about Oktoberfest, um, Anna. Yeah. Now, Adelaide, for those who don't know, is, has a city with a lot of German heritage. How big of a deal is Oktoberfest in Adelaide and South Australia? Um, it exists. <laughs> uh, I think more and more, much like other um, festivals and holidays, it's sort of becoming a thing. I think we love any opportunity for a good piss-up. That's a word for you, Luigi. <laughs> um yeah, we do get Oktoberfest celebrations. We, it's not a thing like it is in Germany or even in America, but, you know, there'll be like, say, one um, Sunday or a uh, Saturday in, or just a whole weekend in the city and they'll dedicate a part of the city or just for, just for one weekend and people can go and have a booze up. And there will be people around in Lederhosen drinking German beer in huge steins and in... Um, if you drive a little bit out of town, uh, we've got German towns out here in South Australia, just on about an hour outside Adelaide, particularly one called Harndorf, where you can go and have some amazing German food and huge quantities of beer. I'll keep that in mind next time I'm in South Australia, Anna. Um, we're here in Perth. I mean, Oct- there's a lot of Oktoberfest, and I mean, given the fortunate position we've been in here in 2020, um, probably some of the few Oktoberfests in the world have gone on here, but a lot of pubs are even just using it as an opportunity to sell German beer. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. they do that here too, and people love their German beer, and also, like I say, they come in usually quite big beer stones, so get it in here. But, so Bud says he wants to go to Oktoberfest in Milwaukee with the fraternity, so he's still in college, and Al suggests, why doesn't he get a job? Yeah, I... Those dreaded jobs. I mean, Bud's being almost as bad as um, Kelly or Peggy here. <laughs> or Ke- Peggy in particular. He's, a, he's like a Jefferson Jr. He is a bit. And I love Al's advice. 
Well, son, there are other ways of getting money without asking me. Yeah, but Mom's not here, and I don't have a body like Kelly's. I was talking about a job. <gasps> job? God, you look just like your mother when you say that. You remember back in The Goodbye Girl in the uh, late season six when Peggy is aghast at Kelly getting a job? And she goes, a job. And then Bud says, a job. And that's and Al says, oh, God, you look just like your mother when you say that. <laughs> yes, I remember that. <laughs> so that's what made me think of that. I'm like, yes, he does look like Peggy. <laughs> He's saying, a job, just like she did when Kelly got her job in um, The Goodbye Girl. And her diner job in season seven, too. Have you forgotten that I'm in college? No, son, and I'm proud of you. But if you want money, you should do what a wise man once said. And yip, 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 get a job. <laughs> so, yeah, Al, Al quotes the song, Get a Job. And that's a song by the Silhouettes. I think they did it originally. I'm not sure. But they were an American doo-wop R&B type group. Get a Job was a number one hit on the singles charts and pop charts in 1958. So some more oldies that Al likes. Blimey, yes. Uh, just looking it up, it, indeed it was a Silhouettes original. Um, yes, released in November 57, number one in February 58. There we go. Wow, that's almost 60 years ago. Uh, 64, sorry. Yeah, three. I can't count. Well, more, 60, 63, years, 63 years ago, yeah. Yeah, so one year off being officially old. <laughs> um, there's a good shot of Buck. He's ready for Oktoberfest. Yeah, he's going. Uh, we, we don't find out how he gets there, but whatever. He's Buck. He always finds a way. I mean, we've seen Buck's adventures. Uh, he can go anywhere he wants, really. That is true. Oh, he's very... He's going. He, kiss me. I'm a German shepherd. He does. I like Bud's comment of, you know, there's other ways to get money, but Mum's not here and he doesn't have a body like Kelly's. <laughs> so Bud decides to get a job. And Al feels satisfied enough and he goes back to enjoying himself without, with life with the wife out of town. Yes, playing, listening to some music, which I sadly couldn't find what that music is. I, I shazammed it, but I was like, oh, it doesn't say anything. Well, if Shazam can't find it, it probably doesn't exist. But I, sus- I suspect it's uh, just incidental music by Married Children's music guy, Jonathan Wolf. It's probably stock music. Yeah, I mean, I've tried looking it up before and I, I couldn't find anything. But Jonathan Wolf is on Facebook, so maybe I could actually ask him. All right, that makes sense. I was hoping it was an actual instrumental piece or something, so I thought I'd look it up. Bling, 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 bling. Hang on, it's his phone. And he already knows who it is before he picks it up. <laughs> <laughs> he does. Hello, Peg. Did you know it was me, Al? I actually heard God laugh. <laughs> Honey, I have great news. Mom has taken her first step since her heart attack. Did you alert Tokyo? <laughs> <laughs> so apparently Peggy's mom has had a heart attack. Did you alert Tokyo? <laughs> That's a Godzilla reference, of course.
course, of course, yes. Yeah, and I think I think Peg's mum wants some nail polish. Yeah, she couldn't remember what shade she likes, so um, asked Al to find the mail, which is in the oven. Where is the mail, Gracie? <laughs> Where it always is, Al, in the oven. <laughs> Al refers to Peg as Gracie, and I think that's um, a reference to um, Burns and Allen. You know George and Gracie? Yeah, yes, um, vaguely, yes. Yeah, uh, so Burns and Allen, yeah, they were an American comedy duo, George Burns and Gracie Allen, and they worked together as a successful comedy team that, you know, from vaudeville, film, television, and radio for over 40 years. And George Burns, of course, everybody knows him as the man who died when he was 100, if not older. But uh, Gracie Allen, as far as I know, she passed away quite early on, or maybe about 40 years before he did. And she and George Burns was always the straight man to Gracie Allen. So I said, well, flip a coin, and if it comes out heads, have your hair dyed. And if it comes out tails, say goodnight, Gracie. <laughs> and they always have this exchange at the end. They'd say, you know, say goodnight to the folks, Gracie. Goodnight, Gracie. <laughs> that kind of thing. Say goodbye, Gracie. Oh, goodbye, Gracie. Uh, that sort of thing. Um, I was actually watching Home Alone the other night. So this is November 2020 um, when I was writing my Christmas cards. And... Um, yeah, Kevin's mum says, say goodnight, Kevin, and Kevin's all, goodnight, Kevin. <laughs> so, but that might be a reference to that as well. Speaking of Kevin's mum, have you seen Shit's Creek? No, but I heard she's in it, and people are like, oh my gosh, she's a mum from Home Alone. <laughs> she's in it, and she's amazing. Oh, she would be, I mean, I loved her as Ke- Kevin, Kevin's mum, but I'm sure she'd be great in that as well. Yeah, well, she's with um, Eugene Levy, and they're both Canadian, and they go way back to the 70s. So they're in, you know, all those Christopher Guest movies, like Best in Show and A Mighty Wind, but now they're in this TV show together, which unfortunately finished. They're now just, everyone's discovering how awesome it is, and they won all their Emmys last year. So, yeah, it's a great show if you need something to watch. I'll keep that in mind, probably for next winter when it's too cold to go to the beach. <laughs> Indeed. Yeah, so yeah, so many references in this show that just makes me think of so many other things. So, out has to find a catalog for Peg and which catalog? It's called XXLLB. <laughs> now, we don't have LL Bean here, do we? No, I mean, I've never seen it here in Perth, so unless you get it imported, uh, most likely not. No, cuz I I know of its existence probably because of this episode originally. And just um, the show in general. Or American shows in general, I mean. L.L. Bean is an American privately held retail company that was founded in 1912. A long time ago. By Leon... Yeah. Leon Leonwood Beans. That's where the L.L. Bean comes from. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. And the company is headquartered where it was founded in Maine. And specializes in clothing and outdoor recreation equipment. So, yeah, there's a nail polish in there as well, I guess. All right. Not chocolate, but actually minimising red. And I just I just want to say I probably would have preferred the chocolate. Well, I mean, I don't wear nail polish. As I told in previous episodes, I've worn a tutu, but um, I never had nail polish on, so can't say I've gone that far. I mean, who knows? If I get invited to another hen party or um, bachelorette party, oh, I should be worried. Nothing wrong with wearing nail polish. I've done it myself. I don't even wear nail polish at the moment. So what else is Al find in the oven? Oh, let's see. Uh, I found some free tickets to the 1991 Chicago playoff. 
A notice from the council, presumably, about the local drinking water being contaminated, probably in 1991 as well, which for the record is one of the best years ever known to man. No bias here. <laughs> <laughs> no, not at all. And a few basketball experts out there would tell us just what an important season that was, I guess, with, with the Bulls in the playoffs. I mean, I know the Bulls are awesome and Michael Jordan is awesome, but I, I don't follow basketball at all, except for... Oh, I did a little bit when I was young because I mentioned it this time last year in the pre- in the season eight opener. I used to collect basketball cards, and obviously I know who Michael Jordan is, and a few of the other famous people like Clyde Drexler, and so much, and you know people like that of that time. But to t- to say that the '91 playoffs uh, for the Bulls were a thing, sure, I believe you, and I, I guess that was a good one. Yeah, it was. I mean, um, they swept the New York Knicks in three straight games in the first round of the playoffs, and they swept the uh, fifth in the semifinals, the fifth-seeded Philadelphia 76ers, and um, Eastern Conference Finals, Detroit Pistons in four games, and uh, they beat the LA Lakers in the 91 NBA Finals. Ah, oh, there you go. In five games, winning their first ever championship in franchise history, so... That's the background behind the whole Chicago 1991 playoffs. The, the, the fifth game was on June the 12th, 1991. So, yeah, not sure how big NBA was here in the early 90s, but may have made news. I'm sure it would have made the news here at least. Yeah, so that mail's been in the oven for at least three years. Yeah, three and a half years, and along with that water um, notice from the council. And uh, now you're screwed. Yeah, because what else is in the mail? Hey, you want me to put mom on? Yeah. (laughs) Driver's license renewal notice. Send this form in 10 days and we'll automatically renew your driver's license. Oh, here's a a second notice. (laughs) Send completed test within five days or your driver's license will expire. Oh, gee, here's the third. Oh, do you? Well, after Al slams on the phone when Peg asks if he wants to listen to her mum, uh, I, I actually miss the days when he can slam down the phone like that. Yeah, Al, yeah, you're screwed. Uh, yeah, your license is a bit out of date, I think. <laughs> mm, yeah, he could have automatically renewed it and then, no. Yeah, I love how he holds up that now you're screwed very noticeably to the camera so we can see it. <laughs> yeah, yes. <laughs> so, yeah, he's screwed. Next scene, Jefferson is testing Al. And the Illinois road test appears to be a little bit different to the Western Australian and presumably South Australian road tests. Hmm. When at a four-way stop, who has the right-of-way? A, the guy on the left, B, the guy on the right, or C, the guy not driving the Dodge? Let <laughs> <laughs> I me mean, see that. It doesn't say that. It does say that. <laughs> <laughs> and then Al goes to have a look and see if it's in there, which it is. So it doesn't say that. It does say that. <laughs> <laughs> but they never ask trailer questions, do they? No, it appears that Al, considering he's been driving since the 60s, does not care about the road test, which, to be honest, that actually sums up the attitude of a lot of drivers here in Perth. Every day I, I encounter some drivers who don't know the fact that they have a blind spot. Yeah, I think, well, I mean, I'm sure it's the same in a lot of other cities, but it sounds like Adelaide drivers can be as bad as Perth drivers. Yeah, well, they were worse when I was in Sydney. I, I did notice they were noticeably worse when I was in Sydney. 
Well, there's more of them. There's more drivers of that city to be in traffic with. That's true, but a lot more of them were just um, ignoring the traffic lights and things like that. But I have not been to Perth yet, so when I will, one day, not if, but will, when, and yeah, I'll take notice of the of the drivers there. That can't be any worse than the eastern states. Yeah, uh, well, hey, we got our own charms in the West. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, we're pretty sure Blindspot is actually two beers and a redhead. <laughs> that was a good exchange. Expired driver's license. Why can't a marriage license do that? <laughs> Ask me the next question. What's your blind spot? Two beers and a redhead. <laughs> Al also has a good question. I mean, why can't a marriage license expire? Oh, that's not very nice, especially after you married for 23, 24 years. Yes, yeah, 24. I mean, later this season, they celebrate 25. I think, according to our calculations, it should actually only be 23, but what are you going to do? Yeah, there's a note here from Luigi, our master researcher. He's like, why can't a license, marriage license do that? And he's written, Amen. <laughs> well, I'm wondering if a marriage license can expire. I don't think they ever can, but I am getting married in about a month, and this could be information to know. Well, as far as I know, they don't expire here. I've been to enough weddings in recent years here in Perth, and um, yeah, as far as I know, they don't expire. And uh, if any of my friends have got married in 18 or 19 are listening to this, um, I wish you all very many happy years ahead. And uh, well, thank you for tuning into the podcast, um, various friends here in Perth. Kelly walks in in the second episode since what I refer to as the great haircut of 1994. Yes, and I, I suppose um, the guys on the first episode have mentioned um, Kelly slash Christina's hair. Yeah, this is the big change. I mean, she has all her hair chopped off and it gets shorter and shorter over this season. So I don't think the producers would have um, let her cut her hair off per se, but Christina Applegate... Um, said uh, she was sick of having long blonde hair and looking like Pollyanna. So she decided she sort of got it shorter and shorter and then went a little nutty, quote unquote, and cut it short. You've had long hair for a while. Yeah. At what, or anything in particular that just caused you one day to say, I'm cutting it off? No, it's like an addiction, you know. You have, you know, the hair was down to here and it just kind of went to there and then it kind of went to there and then I just went a little nutty and cut it off. Uh-huh. And now I get to look it back and look like a guy. What do the producers say? Were they upset? Well, it's cut. They can't do anything about it, can they? <laughs> no. So I kind of called up and said, hey, my hair's short. And they went, well, all right. What do you think of her short hair? Well, okay, so when I first watched the series, um, when I first watched seasons 9 through 11 in 2008, uh... I, I mean, I didn't dislike it, but I wasn't that into late period Kelly when I first watched this, so I was either 16 or 17, depending on the month. However, when I re-watched these, um, even now, when I was 25, uh, probably because I'm older as well, I appreciate late period Kelly a lot more, um, probably because I'm older now too, because bear in mind, 17 or me would have been more into, say, season 4 and 5 Kelly. Yeah, that is the classic Kelly look. That's when she was like full sort of rock chick and had the long blonde hair. And she, um, but honestly, she's going to look good no matter what her hair looks like. And Yeah. And I think she looks really cute in this episode. 
like there's a lot of nice shots of her and stuff like that, including that jacket, that black jacket she's wearing when she first comes in. I thought that was a re- that I love was a really that nice coat. Jacket. Yeah, she looks amazing in it. I mean, and she still looks Christina Applegate still looks good now. I mean, well, she's 49 at the time we're recording this. Uh, she'll be 50 this year. So, um, yeah, and she's old enough to be my mother. Wow, that's a thought. <laughs> yeah, she was um 18 and a half when I was born. Oh, there you go. No, 19 and a half even. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, she would have been almost 20. Yeah, that coat is really nice that she's wearing, but under the coat? Wow. Mm. Look what they want me to wear in my next Verminator commercial. Yeah! It's humiliating. It's totally beneath me. I don't want to do commercials in a bikini. I want to do films where I'm totally naked or... (laughs) At least with that Hey Vern guy. (laughs) Daddy... I'm afraid if I keep doing this, people are going to think that I'm all body and no... Mind? No, I don't mind. Go ahead. I couldn't help but notice that she's referenced the old Ernest P. Worrell commercials from the 80s, referring to him as the Hey Vern guy. Know what I mean? Oh, hi, Vern. Put that in there and this and here and this and here and that and over Gosh, Vern, aren't you awful heavy to be working up here? You know what you need, Vern? It's some of this Cream Weber Highland 2% milk. Cream Weber Highland, Vern, it's 98% fat-free. And that's what you need to be, Vern. 98% fat-free. And that way, when you're up here working, these roof beams won't be buckling like that. Vern! Vern! Yeah, she wants to do films where she's totally naked, or at least with that Hey Vern guy. And I was like, Hey Vern, I'm like, that sounds familiar. And I'm like, Oh, it's Ernest. Okay, yeah, the Ernest guy. Yeah, Jim Varney. <laughs> yeah, Jim Varney. I actually went for an Ernest phase when I was 13, and basically binge all his films in the video shop. And I actually, um, well, back in November of 2020, when I was writing my Christmas cards, I started off by having Ernest Saves Christmas on in the background, and it still holds up pretty well. Um, Jim Varney was another legend. Uh, along with Ernest, people my age would remember him more as being the voice of Slinky Dog from the first two Toy Story films. Oh, yeah, he was, too. Yeah, yeah so people my age would remember him as Slinky. They recognised him as the voice of Slinky. Yeah, I oh, was cute. Yeah. But yeah, yeah, I mean, everyone knows who Ernest is. I mean, he'll get referenced a couple more times in this show. There's a good one in season 10 when Shannon Tweed alludes to a a movie that she did with him called Ernest Pays for Sex. (laughs) But the first Ernest commercial was filmed in 1980 and advertised an appearance by the Dallas Cowboy Cheerleaders. There's an amusement park near Bowling Green, Kentucky, and the format of the commercials were seldom varied and most often scripted to be comedic and fast-paced. And there is a sh- there was a television series called Hey Vern, It's Ernest, and that was a, I think it was a children's show. It would have been, and it aired on Saturday mornings on CBS for one season in 1988, and each episode involved short sketches on certain themes or scenarios featuring Ernest P. Worrell, his unseen friend Vern, and various others. I mean, that was the year after his first film, Ernest Goes to Camp, came out. That was 87. Yeah, and there was Ernest Saves Christmas in 88. Oh, we'll probably we'll watch again this year in 2021. Probably going to write this year's cards come November. So, yeah, um, this is the final mention of the Verminator. This is, this is a... Uh, a chapter closing of sorts. 
that interview where I was talking about Christina Applegate's um, haircutting, in that same interview, she had to talk about what was new with Kelly. And it's an interview from 1994 at the beginning of season nine. And it's from later with Greg Kinnear, back when Greg Kinnear hosted a talk show. And she was talking about it with the producers, writers, whoever, probably the producers. And she said, hey, look, enough with the cape. Anything new for uh, for Kelly? Wasn't she doing the character Kelly? She was doing commercials last season. Yeah, there was this whole <clears throat> verminator thing that we were doing on the show for a couple years. Now, what is there. that? I don't know. The um, verminator. The verminator is a superhero, basically, for a pest um, extermination company. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and I kind of had a little talk, and I said, hey, you know, enough with the cape, okay? Uh -huh. So. Um, well, we don't, we're not doing that anymore. Now I'm an actress. Ah, on the show. so you've upgraded to yes. the Nick, I see. And still the same kind of character, though, we'll see. Yeah, no, she's still an idiot. So. <laughs> They've put an end to the Verminator. I, I'm sort of indifferent. I mean, I, I, I honestly don't see her being the Verminator for, forever until the end of the show's run, although it could be something that she did in the background. But I think Kelly being an actress opens up more opportunities for sort of funnier scenes and it um, gives more variety in what she can do, which is probably what Christina wanted anyway. Yeah, I don't know. Are you sad to see the end of the Verminator? I was a big Verminator fan, Anna. As you know, I've got a Verminator t-shirt, one of my favourites. Uh, oh, especially when she was first a Verminator. Um, that, that is some classic Kelly for me personally, when she's still with the long hair and her Verminator suit and... Uh, Oh, man. Uh, if I was, like, um, 10 years older, I would have um, watched those when they first came on, believe me. And, uh, yeah, so Verminator Kelly is definitely one of my favourite of her personas. Yum, yum, yum. So, yeah, it's a big year of big episode and a big season of change for our Kelly. So Jefferson tries to dispense some advice to her. <laughs> he does a very... Brief, very quick Marcy impression. <laughs> very, very good one too, if you ask me. Actually, a pretty good one. Yeah, he, he's quite good at impressions, I think. It was very sort of late era Marcy, but current Marcy, so it, it worked very well. Well, then what does Mrs. Darcy say? <laughs> Usually. Was that it? <laughs> Al hangs his head in shame. And Al also mentions he's only ever um, had sex with Peg twice, um, namely Kelly and Bud, which I actually believe. <laughs> well, but then again, that would contradict all the other times Peg's had her up to bed, unless he actually didn't put out. So, uh, unless he counting only those two times out, I don't know if the book can believe you. Hmm. Yeah, poor Al. Oh, dearie me. Uh, I mean, Jefferson's boss is obviously Marcy, and yeah, Al's not feeling that good at all. No. So... What are the lines like at the DMV, so to speak, in your neck of the woods and your experience? How long do you have to wait in line to be served there? Okay, so um, when I was going for my driver's license a few years back, and, and our Department of Transport, or DOT, what we call them here in Western Australia, uh, I had to, didn't have to wait terribly long, maybe 10, 15 minutes to sit the written test, and... Uh, Obviously, practical tests are pre-bookings. So you don't have to wait that long for those at, at, at all. Um, it, it just depends. If you, if you go there after they open, then you have to wait it like a bit, little while. But nothing like the line owls standing in. Nothing like that. What about if you just arrive in country? 
that's not a valid reason here in Western Australia. Basically, um, no matter where you're from, uh, you have to stand in the same line, and you just can't get a test like that. Good. All about the equality. Uh, I just arrived in country. Can I take test now? <laughs> of course. <laughs> I just arrived in country. Can I take test now? I'm sorry, sir. You have an appointment. I have to wait in line for a long time, and there's a lot of people in that line. And it gets longer, because the clerk knows he has an appointment. I wonder if I could get away with the whole, I'm from foreign country. I mean, I can trick enough people to think I'm English, so I suppose I could try it. Well, you might, but um, there's already an English person working there, and they might see through you. Oh, crumbs. Oh, crumbs. Yeah. <laughs> Al Bundy. <laughs> that's, uh, that's Bundy. Sorry. Anyway, Mr. Bundy. Al Boondy. Boondy. Now, this guy looks really familiar. Have you seen him in many things? Because he's got an IMDb list that is quite long. This is Mr. Blithers, aka Oliver Muirhead. On my notes, the RP, or Received Pronunciation, which, um, for those not in the know, is the t stereotypical um, upper-middle-class, upper-class British accent from uh, southeastern England, uh, hit the RP man. Yeah, um... Even his Wikipedia page says he's a British character actor from London, known for often portraying pompous country gentlemen. <laughs> yes, basically, the American equivalent would be Robert Mandan. Uh, who's he? Robert Mandan, he was, he was an American character actor. He, he generally played um, rich American men. Chester Tate from Soap, he played similar sort of roles in, oh. in an episode of All in the Family, an episode of Maud. He was the dad on Jack Tripper's um, Girlfriend in the Freezer Crowd. He's very much one of those, hey, it's that guy. Yeah, he was in a Married to Children episode, actually. But yeah, basically, um, Oliver Muirhead is basically the British version of him. Yeah, and um, Oliver Muirhead was in an episode of Brooklyn Nine-Nine a couple of years ago. No way, I have to rewatch those again. I have to rewatch them and look for him out from now. I'll recognise him instantly. Yeah, it's, uh, I, th oh, I looked it up, it was episode, uh, season six, episode The Bimbo. You'll, you'll know it, yeah. Ah, uh, yeah, I'll, I'll rewatch that and keep an eye out for him. Oh, no, I saw it all um, in 2020, so I should know. Yeah, he's been in tons of things. He's in Friends, Big Bang Theory. Um, he's, he goes, he's got this going back to at least 87. And, he, and, he's, and he's still working today, so he's a career actor. Oh, wicked. But I believe um, uh, Mr. Blivers, um, Al says, same language as everyone else, which um, Mr. Blivers believes is Spanish. Yeah, uh, that's confusing. I mean... Um... Well, and in Chicago in particular, because I understand if Al was in, say, Phoenix, Santa Fe, or even Denver. <laughs> According to this English guy, everyone in America speaks, or everyone in Chicago anyway, speaks Spanish. And Al says, no, 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 I speak American. Is that American as opposed to English? Because the guy speaking is speaking in an English accent. I mean, is that part of the joke? <laughs> I think it is, and also because, I don't know, maybe some Americans um, say they speak American, um, especially in reference to other shows, like My Name is Earl, like um, Joy, I remember, she said she speaks American, and that she calls the Spanish language Mexican, so I think there could be, I think there's a bit of that sort of um, thing in bits amongst some of the US, like they say American and Mexican rather than English and Spanish. How people perceive things, so... Oh, yeah, Robert Mandan, he's, uh, I was just looking him up because uh, it was bothering me who he was, and I'm like, is he Walter Truggett? Yes, he was Walter Truggett. Yeah. Yes, that's right, Walter Truggett. Just as that's inside. Him. I just had to close that. 
like I said, always plays those um, rich American guys. Yeah, yeah. But the American test is full of trailer questions. And Al was not very pleased while he witnesses a kid, a wino, and a blind lad all getting licenses. Yeah, that that's a, <laughs> that was funny, but it's like stretching a joke to its possible limit, isn't it? It's, it's sort of think the subtlety would have been better there, but, you know, we're very careful about who we give licenses to, and then, I don't know, just to see that, it was just so, a bit ludicrous. It's still funny. Yes, I mean, Al, you should have studied your trailers, because you failed the written test, not once, not twice, three times. And uh, he, apparently he's driven his car for 30 years, which is obviously not correct, because that means he would have had the Dodge in 1964, when the Dodge is actually a 1971 model. Yeah, well, it's, it's 71 or 74, depending on the episode, but yeah, exactly, that's the point. So yeah, he's still calling him Mr. Boondy, and that's... That matches up with, um, it's a bit of a running gag that people don't know how to pronounce Al's last name. You know, we've had, we've got Boondy in this episode, and we've had, uh, Budney, Al Birdie later on, and we've had, um, <laughs> Al Bumby. Oh, dearie me. So on a side note, with the driving test, how many goes did it take for you to pass your driving test? I got it first go. Lucky you. I, I got my second go. I, I f- failed my first practical test, um... By botching a reverse park job. Oh. Mm. Well, we have to do a written test first, and I passed that, but then I did the logbook system, so less and less and less and less and less until I got every single task ticked off. So I had didn't have to do a full-on practical test like I'm guessing you did or like they do in America, but after you pass every single thing and have it that ticked off in your logbook then you do a sort of a revised thing right at the end or you just run through everything quickly and make sure you've got it all so yeah i did that approach and that seemed to work for me oh well done whereas here in wa as we say uh i did my written test i passed that uh then i well did lessons and whatnot and then um see there's nothing like that here in wa you have everyone has to go for their practical driving test no matter what So I did the driving test, failed the first one because of that botched parking job, but then I passed the second one. Excellent. And then you had to, then you had to do a computer test, a hazard perception test, um, to get your license. Well, it's the other way around now, hazard before practical, but um, you have to do both of them to get your license here. Yeah, I have got a feeling you, you probably have to do both of them here now as well. I'm just realising that I would have got my license before you did because I got mine 20 years ago. Yeah, they didn't have a computer test back then, because I remember when I was practicing for my hazard test, I actually used the South Australian practice clip, so I do remember going up, checking out the various states' Department of Transports and helping it with a practice. Because your states had better resources than mine did at the time with the hazard test, so yeah, like, yeah, SA's better than WA here. Yeah, you have it. Uh, and I got that, and well, I got my license a bit late in life, but yeah, still driving, and no, no penalty points to merit points, so all good there. Excellent. Yeah, I don't think I have any... I think I got one speeding ticket once because there was a sign that wasn't clearly displayed. Oh, yeah. And so I got busted that way. It happens. And I was like, Yeah. It does happen. And I went out and checked it before I paid it and like, oh, curse you. Shake my fist. It's time for no man to take a little break in the Jiggly Room. I'm the DJ, and I'm gonna play a little bit of music that was on this week's episode of Marry with Children. (laughs) 
Mr. Boondy, there still may be a license with your name on it if you pass the driving test. A driving test, eh? Well, I'll have you know, I've been driving through the mean streets of Chicago for 30 years in the same mean car with the same mean wife. <laughs> so go ahead, give me your best shot. Show me the moron who dare not pass me. Boondy? Al Boondy? Guess who's got a job at the DMV? Oh, hang on. Uh, I don't think it's Peggy. Uh, it's definitely not Kelly. Um... <laughs> <laughs> so I was just trying to picture Peg. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh, oh no. Who can it be then? Oh, it's Bard. And he looks so gleeful, doesn't he? I know. And he looks so sharp as well. Even I don't dress up sharply for work. <laughs> no, he does look good, doesn't he? Yeah. It does. I mean, people with DMVs don't dress like that. <laughs> no, I, I like that. I think he's he's taking his job seriously. Not that other people don't. It's just that, you know, Al told him to get a job. He's like, fine, I'll get a job and I'll do it well. Well, hey, Bud's had to deal with his 97-year-old Lithuanian broad to drive 17 miles an hour or 27 kilometers an hour on the freeway with Lucky Cheese. Oh. <laughs> oh, In an unair-conditioned car. Like a lot of cars were in 1994. Yes. When both cheese and woman ripen nicely. Oh! That is... Ew! So yeah, Bud um, clearly knows what he's doing now. And Al says... Let's drive. Yes, and his variation of his Let's Rock classic phase. Indeed, he hasn't said that for about a whole season. Oh, yeah. Exactly a whole season. Wow. Back at home... Kelly is thanking Jefferson for his work advice, which is a sentence that, upon hearing, you think, oh my god, Kelly. Yeah, Kelly, come on. You should know, well, even you should know better to listen to Jefferson about work advice. Come on. I mean, the man's a loafer. He thinks that W2 is a bingo number. (laughs) I did what you told me to do. I marched in my boss's office. I said, I am the verminator. I hold all the cards. Well, you should have seen the look on his face when he said those two magic words. I'm sorry? You're fired. I'm sorry. <laughs> fired? You dispense job advice to her? You who thinks a W-2 is a bingo number? Well, I know it's not a bingo number. It's that stuff you spray on squeaky hinges, right? <laughs> oh, that's WD-40. That's it. Uh, that's everything. Yes, oh. yes, yes. WT is a, is a, is a tax form. And it's known as the wage and tax statement. It's a document an employer is required to send to each employee and to the IRS at the end of the year. Yes. Because I I think it's probably this episode that made me look that up years ago. Because I'm like, W-2? W-2? What's the reference there? All right. Oh, yeah? And now I know what a W-2 form is, of course. Hooray! (laughs) Life is certainly taking an upward turn for me. I'm 23 years old. I have no money. And I'm still living at home. I'm kind of like Dab with blonde highlights. (laughs) Do you realize 
realize that I have classmates who are getting alimony from two ex-husbands by now? <laughs> I respect the fact that you really want to work, unlike Deadwood over here. So perhaps we can find a little something at the bank to tide you over. Yeah, but I don't know anything about high finance. I'll get to use my mind, right? I won't be a showpiece or anything. Trust me, Kelly. As a feminist and a leader in the financial community, I promise you will not be window dressing. Marcy puts on her feminist cap and she says, uh, "Kelly will not be a showpiece." Yes, but she can get some. She can get Kelly some work down at the bank to tide her over. Yes, and note the contrast. I mean, when Marcy's having his speech, Kelly's looking quite fine in a black top and green trousers mm. when she's talking about how she put her foot down and got fired, which obviously angered Marcy for obvious reasons. And Kelly's so down that she mentions that she's dead with blonde highlights and, funnily enough, 23, but she should still be 22 as her character won't be 23 until January of 1995. Yeah, it's nice that Kelly gave a shout-out to her own age, even though it's wrong. But, you know, continuity. We've discussed continuity on the show before with ages and birthdays. But, yeah, the point remains, she's at home, still, now unemployed. But, it, yeah, but Marcy really respects the fact that she wants to work, unlike her husband. Mm-hmm. And promises Kelly she won't be window dressing at the Kyoto Bank. Um, <laughs> uh, as we see here, that is a big fat... Lie. Yeah, I guess I, we can see where this is going. <laughs> and she's now in a blue and yellow bikini in the window of the Kyoto National Bank. Holding a sign saying, check out these rates. Hmm, I wonder if they're high or low. If it was an Australian bank, they'd be pretty high, as interest rates were pretty high in Australia at the time, but I'm not sure about the USA. Yeah, I can't speak for the USA, but yeah, they were here for a while, higher. Now they're a bit lower because of COVID and things like that. But Yeah, which is good for my mortgage, but that's about it, really. <laughs> yeah, well, we got our mortgage, we got a, a, a competitive rate, and it's decreased even before the virus, and then it decreased again before the virus. Or maybe it was around the start of the virus. So yeah, we got a pretty good uh, interest rate on our home loan. Yep, so same with my little bit of Jeopardy Lane um, in Perth. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, doesn't Kelly look thrilled to be window dressing? Yeah, she's absolutely loving it. She loves this new job. It's so much better than what she's done before, whether it was the Weather Girl or the Rock Video or the Verminator or working at a TV museum or a TV show. Yeah, it's way better than all of those put together. Yeah, it seems to be that the the less clothing she's wearing, the the happier, she, the less happy she is. Yep, that sounds about right. Yeah, yeah, that's the second time this episode already we've seen Kelly in a bikini. I'm sure you and 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 the guys everywhere are loving it. I'm sure, I'm sure, um, especially, well, um, my friends who watched this at the time, and some of my friends, if they were 10, years, 10, 15 years old, like the ones I went to school with, I'm sure they would have too. Oh, yeah. And she looks amazing, don't get me wrong. Oh, she does. So we're back with Alan Bud driving on the road, and they've been driving for about three hours. Yeah, it must be in Wisconsin now, because Illinois is in northern Illinois, or Chicago is even in northern Illinois, and... Um, well, if you've gone that far on a driving test, which you would never do here, because they're only meant to be 45 minutes long, uh, yeah, I was lost five points for complaining. Ask Bud how much it is for crushing in his face. Bud, Bud's being a professional, and he, he's taken an oath. But hang on, who's this on the side of the road? Here it is! Here it is! I don't think Illinois driving tests involve going over state lines and um, picking up uh, G- German babes. I'm Heidi. And I'm from Bavaria, 
Could you direct me to the Oktoberfest in Milwaukee? Oh, yeah, this could happen. <laughs> Bavarian babes, even. Yeah, and apparently this actress, her name is Nicole Nagel, apparently she really is German. So they've hired a German actress to play a German character, which is cool. Yeah, not sure which be the German. Do you know which be the Germany she's from? Because obviously Germany has 16 Länder or states. Well, she says she's from Bavaria, but she but she just wants to get to Milwaukee for the Oktoberfest. True. I was I was talking about the actress, not the character. Oh, sorry. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, like I said, Germany is like a 16 Länder or states. So I mean, there's a big difference between Bavaria and say Brandenburg. Uh, you know, I don't know where she's from, but I could look her up. Born in Berlin. Ah, so, ah, I've, I've completely ever into the country, but I love Berlin, a uh, lovely little city. Uh, yeah, and hopefully by the t- time this makes it to air, we're a bit closer to be able to go in there again. Yeah, she was born in uh, Berlin, but she was well, German-American, so she she's a model, of course, and yeah. I just want to quickly say to all you listeners, um, whenever we can go in, um, internationally again, um, assuming we can't um, by the time this airs, um, I recommend, as soon as you can, when the borders reopen and it's safe, go to Berlin. You will not regret it. Yeah, she's been on, in quite a few things. I mean, she moved to America in 92, and then, you know, two years, and a year later, she's already getting parts on TV shows. Um, there's Married to Children, one of the earlier ones. She was also in an episode of Unhappily Ever After, which is sort of the unofficial sister series to Married to Children over on the UPN network. And she's been in ER and Suddenly Susan, Air America, when that was a TV series. It sounds like she's done quite a few things, but in this episode here, it looks like, well... Heidi, her name is, is on her way to the Milwaukee, which, for the record, is a very German city in America, Oktoberfest. Uh, it appears they're probably already in Wisconsin at the moment, uh, but even though Bud called out the Hooters, he still deducts five points an hour for picking up a hitchhiker. So he is taking his job seriously. Oh, yeah, definitely, yeah, that's right, yeah, I mean, making sure Al loses as many points as he can. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, every time I hear the word Milwaukee, I think of Wayne's World with Alice Cooper. Yeah! It's uh, actually, it's pronounced Milwaukee. Milwaukee. Which is Algonquin for the good land. That's right. Uh, and when, I, when I think of Milwaukee, I think of um, Happy Days and the Vernon Shirley and that 70s show. I think of the few, because there's been a few TV shows set in Wisconsin and in Milwaukee in particular. Schlemiel, Schlemazel. Hasen Pfeffer Incorporated. So you cut cut to the scene, and Al apparently is now he's he somehow got a driver's cap out of nowhere. Well, you know we've been driving for about three hours now. <laughs> Don't you think we ought to head back soon? It's five points off for complaining. <laughs> How much do you mark down for crushing in your face? <laughs> yeah, where'd that come from? Well, it looks like they've already been to Oktoberfest, so maybe he picked it up while he was waiting for Bud and Heidi to finish. Ah, uh, yes, yes, that's probably what happened. And Bud and Heidi are singing a German folk song, and I'm going to butch the pronunciation, but it's Hock off dem Giebelwagen. Something about a yellow wagon. Yeah, well, um, yellow's gelp, uh, so that, that sounds like yellow wagon, yeah. Right, I know a scant bit of German, but I... Not fluent in any other language but English. I got the German title, but I forgot to look up the English title. Now, I mean, apologies if I asked you this earlier, but have you been to an Oktoberfest? No, I haven't. Um, when I was talking about the, the little ones that we have here in 
October. Sometimes they're in November, I think. They always put it on a weekend where it was really hot, and I don't like the hot weather. So I haven't been to a proper or any Oktoberfest, but I think I will one day, and I'd love to do it properly, like actually go somewhere to a proper festival and get my German on. I think I would too, and do my inner German proud. I've got a bit of German in me on my mum's side, so do that proud. Uh, yeah, I mean, I was invited to one um, last year here in Perth, but that's something else on. But um, I'm sure I'll go to, get to another one soon enough. Uh, yeah, we've got a few German breweries here in Perth as well, um, so there's a bit of that going on here. Yeah, one day. Yeah, oh, it's this German folk song. It doesn't even say who wrote it. Hi on the Yellow Wagon. There you go. Ah, that makes sense. Yeah. I had the best time. How about you? Oh, my Shatsi. I just so appreciate you and your show for taking me to the other How can I ever repay you? <laughs> That's right, baby. <laughs> Pretend like my pants are France and invade me. So, hock off dem Gelbenwagen, high on the yellow wagon. Yep, that make, that makes that translates pretty well. Yep. All right. Closed chapter. This thing in that, and uh, it's nice that Bud's got himself a babe. And. Oh, Bud gives one of these looks to cameras that we were talking about in, um, I think it was the Christmas episode in the West Noel last season. Um, has these, uh, you know, Al addressing the audience, and we talked about how Bud or Al has looked at the camera a couple of times, and he did in that episode. And now he does it again in this episode. He gives us a knowing look, and he's going to do that in the next episode that we will meet on as well. Yes, he will. Uh... Bart and Heidi really loved Milwaukee and Oktoberfest. Because, as you mentioned, well, Bud winks at the camera after a Heidi asks how it can be repaid. So they start to, well, get it on on the back seat. (laughs) (laughs) Pretend like my pants are France and invade me. (laughs) I wonder what they said in the French dub of this episode. Yeah, I was... (laughs) say the exact same thing i love a good french joke and so that's the the referring to the battle of france is also known as the fall of france when the the german invasion of france and the low countries during the second world war but yeah i wonder how what they would translate that as in french unless they unless they kept it in well, the thing, given the sort of show Marlier does on form is, um, I'm sure the average viewer of the show wouldn't be that offended, to be honest. No, no. I mean, um, those of you who are familiar with the episode of Faulty Towers called The Germans, which is very famous and um, nowadays very controversial, because uh, in that episode, Basil Faulty keeps saying, don't mention the war. And there's a lot of German jokes and things like that, even uh, straight out and out abuse on Basil's behalf. But people are forgetting that A, he has a concussion and B, he's making fun of people like himself. But, you know, even to this day, John Cleese has people coming up to him, has Germans coming up to him and saying, Hey, John, don't mention the war, huh? Ha ha ha! Yes, the faulty showers, um, 
If those of you haven't seen it, a classic BBC British series from 1975. Uh, yeah, um, I think it was on PBS in the USA, but de not very many episodes, but definitely worth a watch. So if you haven't seen it, you're missing out. Um, starring John Cleese of Monty Python fame. Uh, yeah, feel free to, uh, any of you, to uh, um, ask me for recommendations any other UK or Australian show. <laughs> Yeah, you're the one to ask, and uh, Faulty Towers is pretty much the perfect show, and probably one of the best sitcoms ever. Agreed. So yeah, Bud's getting his pants invaded. Invaded? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? Which prompts Al to throw the rear view mirror, or rear vision mirror, out the window, costing him another five points. <laughs> Hell, I would too. <laughs> That's another five points! <laughs> <laughs> I did like that running... Motif. Another five points for that. So, back to window dressing at the bank. Nice assets, Kelly. It's even funnier the hundredth time I've heard it. <laughs> How's it going, Kelly? Fine. Great location for a bank, right next to a bar. <laughs> well, that's how we got the Kennedy account. <laughs> yeah, but I feel like some cheap slut. Well, that's how we're hoping to get the Clinton account. There is a penalty for early withdrawal. Oh, and the bank is right next to a bar. With, well, <laughs> con conveniently, because that's how they got the Kennedy account, the soon-to-be Clinton account at the time, and I'm sure if this bank was a real bank and it had these sort of things, I'm sure they would have got the Trump account by now. Oh, golly, can you imagine? Oh, I just I noticed in the last episode uh, upon which we met at the end of season eight, Assault and Batteries, uh, there was a Clinton joke in there too about Peggy makes a reference to knowing how Hillary feels because she's doing the job of both Bill and herself. Um, and here we get another Clinton reference. So I'm just wondering if uh, it's not that the show is getting more political or anything, but it's just sort of more and more pop culture jokes. Is the show getting more political or is it just getting more 90s? Do you know what I mean? Probably, probably just more 90s, Anna, because a lot of shows that aren't in political in the slightest would still rib the current US president. I mean, yeah. you got the episode of Cheers in the 87, I think, which is where Cliff's mum's house falls apart, and the last thing that falls off the wall before the end credits is a picture of Reagan on the wall, and Cheers was hardly <laughs> a political show. No, no. But yeah, I mean, Growing Pains made Reagan jokes. That was hardly a political show. So wow. Again, again um, not exactly... Just because you make a swipe against the current president hardly makes the show political. It hardly makes you all in the family in 1994. No, I just think they're, they're, they're getting more frequent, that's all, because we'll get a few more Clinton references as we go along, obviously. But they were very prominent at this time, and when Kelly says that she feels like a cheap slut, and that's how they're going to get the Clinton account, um, Luigi was wondering if that was a reference to Paula Jones, because mm. on May 6, 1994 the year of this episode, the former Arkansas State employee Paula Jones filed a sexual harassment suit against Bill Clinton and former Arkansas State Police Officer Danny Ferguson. And she claimed that on May 8, in 91, Clinton, who was then governor of Arkansas, propositioned her and David Brock had written in the, in January, in the January 1994 issue of the American Spectator that an Arkansas State employee named Paula had often to be Clinton's mistress. Ew. Yeah. Yeah, it probably was a reference, because that was May of 94, after they would have finished writing and filming season 8, so they would have had it probably in their minds over the summer. 
Yeah, yeah, and they just would have they just would have been in in the press and on the news constantly, and but not so not as much as they would be in say about what three four years time. No, no, no. I mean, Married to Children didn't last that long, but I'm sure they would have had a field day had they been a season twelve and thirteen. Yeah, I often think about um, what Married to Children could have a made episodes about or b made jokes about had it still been on the air after the first half of ninety seven. So I was thinking, like things like Monica Lewinsky, they would have had a field day with references and asides and jokes and um, things to do with her. And I think the other thing that I thought of was. Um, Viagra, because that got introduced about 98, 99, and I think Married Children and Peggy especially would have had a field day with that one. They would have, and it would have had even just established that say King of the Hill and South Park and who knows what else. I mean, who knows what jokes Married Children would have made in say the 2000s or 2010s or whatever it was made then or wherever. As I said, I'm sure they would have made a Trump account joke had this been made now. Oh, definitely. Oh, I mean, th- that man is a walking joke anyway, I'm sure as most of you agree. Not that we do politics in this show, but I'm sure most of you agree that that man is a walking joke. Yes. And, yeah, I mean, Trump's been referenced on this show before, but this is back when he was just a business mogul. Yes, back in the, back in the day. Back in the early, very early 90s. Yeah, it just shows that um, these references, you know, to Clinton, or President Clinton, I should say, they are dated, but we still know who they are and they're still relevant. It's it's good. I mean, it's not something you have to go and look up. You think, oh, yeah, that's right. That's when Clinton was president. But, oh, hang on. They're still in the news. And, and we know about his um, alleged affairs and things like that. So I will not say topical, but for lack of a better word. Yeah, I mean, anyone who knows American history or was around then or just knows stuff like I do um, would, would, know, would get the jokes. Yeah, totally. No, you can't check out my assets. No, you can't see my prime interest rate. And yes, there is a severe penalty for early withdrawal. <laughs> my name Ahmed. I'm in big hurry and car is still running. He does not. You must bring me this much money. Right away, Mr. Med. Or can I call you Ach? <laughs> uh, why don't you wait over there and I'll get someone to help you. A thousand thank you very much. <laughs> now hurry. Okay. <laughs> Mrs. Darcy, I think that man's going to rob the bank. He just gave me this note, says he wants $50,000. Now let me handle this. It's a very complicated procedure requiring months of intense robbery prevention training. Bank robber! Bank robber! (laughs) Okay, so Kelly, um, she charges a severe penalty for early withdrawal, um... And, well, so a guy comes in who appears to be a potential bank robber, Ahmed. Hmm. Notice I said potential. Yes. He's in a big hurry and Kyra's still running. Yes. So, uh, Kelly consults Marcy about what to do, and, uh, Marcy basically does a full Corporal Jones and Dad's army and panics and shouts, <laughs> Bank robber! Bank robber! <laughs> um, I mean, if the Dad's army guys here, they'd be all, Don't panic! There's a bank robber! Don't panic! Don't panic! <laughs> Don't panic, don't panic. <laughs> Your name will also go on this list. What is it? Don't tell him, Pike. Don't tell him, Pike. Oh, gosh. But yeah, Mousy isn't much better than the home guard here, if at all. Yeah, Marcy with her double degree in economics and business. Mm-hmm. It's nice we get that information on her background. Yes, yes, it always is. But yeah, she just gives her... <laughs> Gives her boss back rubs. Uh, yeah, so yeah, after her training um, brought down the alleged 
potential bank robber, she finds out who he really is. Yeah, indeed. Uh, well, turns out he's actually an investor, not a robber. Big yeah, difference, Marcy. He's just a poor, innocent shake. I say poor. <laughs> he's not poor at all. He's rich. Yes. Um. <laughs> and he, and uh, well, he was going to make a big withdrawal, and it's going to be really important and beneficial to the bank. But no, no, no. He's just beating it, being beaten up to a bloody pulp off camera, obviously. Yeah, that's one of those things that's better left to our imagination. Yikes. Yeah, for obvious reasons. Um, I mean, I've had much worse injuries for unfortunate circumstances, as I've discussed in the podcast, and not no, nice at all. No, no, I feel sorry for the guy. Yeah, poor Ahmed. So, yeah, he's not doing too well, and uh, neither is Al, apparently, when Bud totes up his score. Ah, uh, let me just total it up. Uh, 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 Bud scored 99. Ow! Oh, what did he? What does he score? Yeah, he basically makes friends of Bud. You better pass me. Oh. Yeah, because he he scored blue chunks. Yeah, you better pass me, or he lifts off some threats. I'd like to remind you, son, while you're figuring out my score, that if I don't get my driver's license, that means I can't drive. If I can't drive, that means I can't go to work. If I can't go to work, that means I'll have to stay home, and I'll be home. All the time. <laughs> Day and night. When you bring your dates over, I will be in my underwear. <laughs> you know the underwear, don't you say? Not the ones that read, if you lived here, you'd be home now. <laughs> and I'll be clipping my toenails and eating cheese whiz out of the can. <laughs> Let me ask you, son. How'd I do? You passed. Oh, goody. <laughs> Thanks, son. You know the underwear, don't you, son? Oh, yes. <laughs> he threatens to stay home, which, in all, well... I'm a se- it hasn't in 2020, and I'm sure probably still won't for a lot of 2021. That sort of threat wouldn't work now. Not in, especially not in Illinois, for obvious reasons. Dang you, COVID. And he'll be home all the time. And we don't know what that's like at all nowadays, do we? <laughs> no, no, no. But there's being home, and then there's being home in your underwear, the ones with the holes in it, eating fake cheese, Ugh. disgusting, from the can... While clipping your toenails, I mean, ugh, I mean, the fake cheese, I just can't wrap my head around it. I don't know why that's even a thing, but I'm sorry, but, yeah, fake cheese, uh, especially when you can have, like, see, Brie, Wednesdaydale Cranberries, Stilton, Queso, why would you want the stuff from a can? Really? Oh, what's good is a, a nice baked or grilled piece of halloumi, that's really good. <gasps> oh, yes, oh, now I feel like baking halloumi on my barbecue, oh, Oh, but the grill marks, oh, right, when I go to Perth, I'm coming for a barbecue at your house. Well, you and Will always welcome my house for a barbecue. I'll make sure I go to my favourite butchers and shop and whatnot and get the best grub I can grill. Dang. Needless to say, Bud does not want um, this horrible owl in his underwear uh, 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 and eating cheese. Uh, no, um, I don't think anyone would, so, of course... Or Al goes red in the face, Bud gives him an obvious fudged pass, which would not go down well in our d- Department of Transport at all. No. 
No, you, you get fired for my work if you did that. And once Al passes, once Bud passes him, Al seems quite genuine when he says, and you have a nice job. So he is proud of Bud for getting a job after all, just <laughs> as long as he has nothing to do with it, I guess. But anyone would have a, a nice job compared to Al. I mean, is there anybody with a worse job than his? Uh, well, I'm sure there are worse jobs than Sue Salesman, but... Oh, hang on. Garbage collector pays more. Uh, grave digger pays more. Uh, if you're talking about, are we talking about the job here, or are we talking about how much you get paid for it? Both. Because if you if you're getting paid for a really shitty job, you probably if you're getting paid well, I don't think you would mind. You, I mean, it's a crap job, but you'd do it if the money's good. Yeah, you probably you would. Um, yeah, you would. So, uh, yeah, I mean, Al's job doesn't pay well at all, and he hates it. So, yeah, I think you can see why he's proud of Bud here. Yeah. And Al then sort of ruminates, is, you know, is anybody, is there anybody with a worse job than his? And then the scene flips back to the bank. Let us sit on your nest egg. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Did you like this end scene with Marcy in a chicken suit? I did, because obviously the tables have turned, and obviously because Marcy botched the whole um, Ahmed um, deal with her going full Corporal Jones. <laughs> <laughs> I think she got this coming. At least she didn't get fired or demoted to drive-through teller. Yeah, I was wondering if this was uh, an official demotion or just like a change in her job duties. Or was she window dressing before and then she saw Kelly and she thought, oh, this is my way out of window dressing. I can get Kelly to come in and do this and she'll look good. But now um, Kelly's gone, presumably, and Marcy is now back to window dressing. Or is it like, instead of being demoted to drive-up teller, she's now being demoted to window dressing in a chicken suit? I think window dressing in a chicken suit would be below drive-through teller. <laughs> I mean, our banks here in Perth don't even have drive-throughs. I don't know about Adelaide. I mean, I didn't notice any when I was there in 2019. Yeah, no, no drive-through tellers that I can think of. However, I th maybe because of coronavirus, there was a drive-through something. But all like because we've got ATMs, you can walk up to them any time of day. So, um, yeah, there's not really no need for them. Because this was 1994, and even I recall when I was young, it's still very much the era when you had to actually walk into a bank to get your money out. Yeah, yeah. Should probably look up when ATMs became a thing, but yeah, now ATMs are twenty four seven, everywhere. And before you used to have to go into a vestibule and and access them there. I'm not sure about America; it could be completely different. I do know drive-through banks are quite a thing in the US. Right. Yes. No, ma'am. We'll be right back to wrap up this week's review. Be sure to join their Facebook group page for all the podcast news and updates. Be sure to subscribe to them on the Apple Podcast app and please leave a review telling them what you think of the show. To subscribe to their YouTube channel, just go to Channels and search up Married with Children Podcast. Join their Patreon and support your favorite podcast with a small monthly donation. You can email them at marriedwchildrenpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for checking out this review. So, that's the end of the episode. So, how many times are you taking the American written driving test for this episode, Matt? Okay, Anna. So, I was tossing up between three and a half times and four times for this episode. I mean, well, 
if it wasn't working for the Department of Transport, I probably would have given it three and a half, but because I am, I'm giving it a four. Because even though I don't actually work in a licensing centre like where Owl visited, um, the fact that I basically know my licensing inside out, and I can really appreciate all the jokes about how not the guy driving the Dodge, or how the American test is full of trailer-only questions, and... Uh, yeah, just um, th- those bits of the episode really push it up to a four for me. But um, yeah, just um, the people getting the licenses when they shouldn't. Even the C plot about Milwaukee, just um, the side tour and a driving test and how ridiculous it is for them to be drive from Chicago to Milwaukee across a state border of all that way. Uh, well, um, and just even the even the Marcy doing the Dad's Army stuff at the end of the towards the end of the episode with Ahmed. Uh, Few other few other reasons. Um, Buck sign kissing me. I'm a German Shepherd. Uh, and oh, I forgot to mention it earlier. Um, apparently the house is only worth two hundred dollars in U- U.S. dollars. So um, because Bud asked for seven hundred dollars, five hundred more the house is allegedly worth. So two hundred dollars. Um, let me just get my currency converge and inflation calculator up. Two hundred U.S. dollars from nineteen ninety four is going to fight that to twenty twenty dollars. We're talking about $351.40 in 2020 money. Convert to dollar dues, that will be... We're talking $475.81 in Australian money. Okay. Not a lot of money. No. No. All right. Well said. So, we are on a similar wavelength because I too was tossing up between three and a half and four. And I think I'm going to go with four attempts at the written test in American, not Spanish. Good, good, good. And I'm just wondering if that's maybe four and a half in Australian. No, Um, (laughs) it's four times for, yeah, I'm going to give it four out of five for many of the same reasons you said, although I don't work at the DMV. But, um, I think this is a, 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 quite a, a solid episode because even though we're missing Peg, um, she's not missed in the sense that everybody else is being used and utilised. Yeah. So, um, like even Jefferson, where he's testing Al, he gets in, you know, a quick Marcy impression, and that's probably, and and also he does a when Marcy refers to him as Deadwood. Um, Jefferson's on the couch. He does a little wave that he does sometimes. So he just did a little wave. It was very yes. cute and funny. Um, so yeah, even he's he's got some some good moments in this episode, even though he only has you know one or two scenes. Um, speaking of scenes, we get scenes with Alan Bud, which are always always pretty good, I think, and because they work well together. And also we got um, a lot of Kelly and Marcy working together, which they're sort of rarely seen together. As a twosome, they're rarely seen together. But it's nice that they've got a lot of interactivity and a lot of interaction going on in this episode. And we get to see Marcy's workplace and we get some more background on Marcy too. And um, um, I, I just love, you know, the jokes. I mean, yeah, it's the show's always making fun of things, but Marcy being a feminist and then Kelly's in a bikini window dressing. I mean, there's those kind of jokes. They always work well. And there's the payback at the end when, when Marcy has to dress in a chicken suit and there's not even an owl there to, to say, you're a chicken. But that joke is established by then. So it's just a, a great sight gag to end the episode with. And like I said, um, Peg's, Peg's missing, but she's not being missed in this episode. I think... Um, 
yeah, this, the big changes for Kelly, as we've mentioned, her hair is different. She's now got, um, she's been fired from the Verminator. So we say goodbye to the Verminator, which you know, I'm, I'm indifferent about, but um, I, I could take or leave the Verminator, but it is sad that it's sort of ending, but I'm looking forward to where she's going in the show because I think it's sort of given her a touch of new life. And I think um, possibly um, Christina may have suggested something like this for her to happen with her character. I don't know whether she suggested Kelly should be an actress, but she definitely wasn't keen on the Verminator thing. So perhaps um, she's been given a sort of a, a new lease on the life of Kelly. So maybe she's put more energy into it. I'm just I'm just spitballing. I don't know if that's true, but it's it's I'm very interested to see where Kelly goes from here and where Bud goes from here because Bud's in a new job as well too. So like I say, some great scenes with Alan Bud. And some great scenes with Kelly and Marcy, but everybody gets used. Al losing his license is a great idea for a story, and having and we've seen that before, in way back in season two. But you sort of don't really think about that episode, which is called "Born to Walk," season two, episode eight. We don't think about that episode while watching this one because I really didn't think of it. Really, it doesn't cross my mind because it was what six years ago. So yeah, all of those things. I mean, it's just a solid enough episode is it mind-blowing no is it adequate yes it's fun there's a lot of really funny jokes um it works and it sort of gives you enough material to see okay where do we go from here so four out of five and yeah it's about the best i can do oh well said anna well said um and I mean, as he said, the show's still got plenty of life left here. Um, and because I, I watched this in my revisit to get me through the um, pandemic in o- around October of 2020. So um, speaking now from late November 2020 into forward into March 2021, I'm watching season 11, and there's still a bit of good moments, but you can kind of tell it was getting a bit rusty by then. But I'm still there's still plenty of left 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 in season nine. Uh, especially because we're yet to meet one of my favourite characters in Season 9 and the whole show. Mm-mm-mm. Hint, hint. <laughs> and we will discuss that, you know, in the next time we meet. Yes, in the next Team Australia episode, which will be in a fortnight. Yeah, so in the meantime, stay, stay tuned for next week, where when Stephen and Tyler, that's Stephen and Tyler, not the lead singer of Aerosmith, We'll be back for Kelly Breaks Out, Season 9, Episode 3, Kelly Breaks Out. When Kelly is hired as the spokesmodel for a new beer, only to realise that her career isn't the only thing breaking out, when a zit might just cancel her first commercial, unless Uncle Sticky's pimple potion comes to the rescue. Meanwhile, Al and Jefferson are trying to buy an Avengers tape with Emma Peel. Peel cheeks. (laughs) 